We have a new intro, yo. Insight birth the Black Russian podcast. Out loud we blast. Write your own vows at last. Write your own script, mate. Script, mate. Live love by your design, your own template for faith. Them's insight birth the Black Russian podcast. Out loud we blast. Write your own vows at last. Write your own script, mate. Script, mate. Live love by your design, your own template for faith. Them sands keep slipping. Yes, yes, pay attention when the shoe is not fitting you. That was nice. Whose beat is that? That is my beat, actually, that and my lyrics. really nice. I really like the beat. <laughs> well, thank you. What's up, everybody? This is the Black Russian Podcast Season 3 Conversations. We're actually going to have other humans besides our voices just <laughs> babbling at each other the whole time, which will be pretty cool. And uh, yeah, we're about to get into this, but first we'd like to say our disclaimers that we say every time. We do not advocate any style of relationship over any. No style of relationship is more or less divine, whether it's monogamy, non-monogamy, polyamory, or any other iteration of any of these things. What we advocate for is pro-encouragement, pro-empowerment, pro-freedom of choice and decision-making, and we are strongly against any mandates against our own will to grow or change. So any relationship structure that mandates you to be a place where you no longer want to be is not cool, and we do not condone, endorse that. With that being said, what's up, Yoda? Do you want to introduce ourselves? Not yet. No? All right. All is well. Who are you? I'm Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that if people have made it to the Black Russian Podcast Season 3, they know the hosts are, but you're right. I got a little carried away. Just in case you don't know... I am Tiambuku, one. And I'm Yula, and uh, I am pretty much always right. Right. There that you go. is it. Our, okay. our, our business titles on our cards is I'm Director of Vibes, and hers is Director of All Things. So that's where we are. We are in a new season, and we just call them seasons. We don't really have, I don't even know how long the second season was. We just did it until we decided, like, okay, that's going to be. That could have, may have been two episodes. It, it very well could have been I think two it's episodes. two episodes. <laughs> I think the first one is like 48, and the second one is two, which kind of confirms that we really don't follow rules. Yeah. This is not the podcast we're looking to build a career off of. It is a podcast of catharsis, communication, and just providing an outlet for us to ponder, and then it became something that became a companion amused to other people, and this is why we do it. Um, and that's what it is. So however long we decide to go or not go or how many uh, episodes determine a season is up to us. I think the first season must have well, it's been 47 <laughs> episodes, which is an almanac of lots of shit. So anyways, we are here. We are out of the pandemic-ish, but not really out of the pandemic. But we can move around and interact with humans and um, you know try to do that thing. And I think we did enough on the recap to... We're out of that face. Anyways, so this season we're about conversating with people that we know, people we care about, people we see and interact with to share their ways, unique ways of how they love and their path of getting to their place of deciding to write their own vows and write their own script. So this is where we are and we have our first guest ever. -er, er -er, No. In season three. There you go. See? <laughs> Told you I'm always right. Yeah. We had one set of guests, and it was a rap group named The Artifacts. 
And that was the only ever guest we had. We it had. was wildly entertaining. Yes. One guy said he eats the booty like it's groceries. Flavor. It was a very Newark, New Jersey thing, <laughs> which I had never had. You can laugh on the microphone. I, is it okay? Okay. Yes. I, I haven't been introduced yet. I mean, so you know, do you think there's like the, there's a ghost laughing in the back like very <laughs> quietly? Trying to hold it in. <laughs> All you see is teeth. You can't even hear. You, <laughs> you can breathe. You can laugh. Yeah. You can speak. Okay. Thank you. All right. So why don't you introduce yourself? Um, I'm Abby and I am married and we have an open relationship and we've been open since 2020 mid, like at the, in the thick of the pandemic. Oh, okay. So you're like COVID poly. Yeah. Like it just there's <laughs> a brand of COVID poly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, there, there's COVID divorce. Yes. <laughs> and there's then there's COVID, COVID poly. poly. Yeah. But uh, where are you from? I'm from North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. That's in the south, right? Yes. Yes, that's in the, the southeast. <laughs> and um, I have been living in the Bay Area for 12 Almost 13 years now. So, safe to say that you grew up with pretty conservative values? I mean, not totally. Uh, because in Charlotte, every people are implants. Like, my parents aren't from Charlotte. Okay. They don't have Southern culture like that. Um, but that cult, the Bible Belt culture is, or was when I was growing up, everywhere. And I would say my parents ha are liberal in, like, politics and things like that. But as far as, you know, relationships and gender roles and that type of thing, mm -hmm. they're pretty traditional and old school. Right. And talking to Abby before, because <clears throat> Abby's someone I know, um, you have a, a, your, your parents are very fascinating. Can you share a little bit about who they are and how they came together, because I think it's a great story. <laughs> so um, my dad's from St. Louis, and my mom's from Kansas City. And my mom was a nun, and my dad was a priest. Oh, boy. That's like <laughs> great. That's like a romance novel to it be is. written. It is. No, it already was written. It's called The Thornbirds. Oh, see, literally it was written. Yeah, and then it was made <laughs> into a TV series or mini movie series a long time ago. Um, but so my mom, let's see, how do I explain this? My mom, well, my mom was in the nun, the nunnery, the convent, and her friend was thinking of leaving the convent. And her friend's cousin, who was, you know, studying to be a priest, came to try and talk her out of leaving the convent. And that was my dad's cousin. And when he came to try to talk her out of leaving, he met my mom. And in the end, all three of them left. <laughs> so, um, but not as a threesome not as a threesome no because they're cousins so we don't I mean, we're not <laughs> from the south so we don't 
I'm just joking. People in the South don't really do that. But, um, but the, but the real reason, like their reasons were very different for leaving. Um, my mom was very devout Catholic and still is. She just wanted to leave because she wanted to have a family. Yeah. My dad was in the Jesuit priesthood, uh, the Jesuit order, um, which is an interesting order. They're the intellectual order, mm-hmm. and they're taught to question yeah. everything, in- including like question the Bible mm-hmm. and the teachings. And then those who can receive the training of questioning and still stay in are who they want to be the Jesuit priests. And there aren't very many who do that. Um, So like my dad and all of his cohort, they all left the priesthood eventually. Because they, after asking questions, they became became disillusioned. Yeah, they became atheist. And so, which atheism is also a dogma that I experienced from my dad anyway. It's like... (laughs) <laughs> oh, so he went from one one side to another. Yeah, like, uh, and because he has so much knowledge, he's right. like, "Look, I can prove to you like why this is not right. even close right. to the right. truth." So, right. so um, yeah, that's kind of my background for religion. That's cool. So, so from your story, I take it that you know you come from a background where you question things. Definitely. And then you're open to changing your mind if questioning leads to a discovery that you didn't think of before. For sure. Yeah, because yeah. that's, a, that's a big thing in the foundation of relationships that you and your family, you guys had been through, at least your parents had been through dramatic shifts in belief and, and how they lived. So having you, that's, that's a great thing to have as part of your, the cake you were baked from because they weren't so rigid where they're stuck in one thing and it stayed that way their whole life and passed that on to you. So how did, um, what was your, your relationships like growing up as far as dating boyfriends, girlfriends or whatever? (laughs) Um, so I have two older brothers and being exposed to them and their friends made me not really like boys for, for a a good long time. (laughs) Um, so I guess I would say I was a little bit late bloomer on being interested in boys. Um, but yeah, always was interested in boys. Like I, I wish nowadays that I could be interested in women, but I'm just not. Right. Um, because ew, men. (laughs) <laughs> Women are so much better. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Except for when you need that. Right. Exactly. Yes. Well, I actually wait, wait. No. Stop. Yeah. Right. But I actually read something really cool explaining that that you know women that have this conflicting relationship <clears throat> to men, right? You, on one hand, you are against what men do. On the other hand, you can't not be with men. Right. It's basically, right. it's, it's, it's a rebellion against the ways that men have been conditioned to be right. by the right. society. It's not a rebellion against male. And right. that's why we have this pull to men, because that's natural. 
for some right. people, right? right? For those of us that do have the pool, that's a natural pool. But then uh, other stuff is right. what the society has created men, most men have traits. Right. So it's the rebellion and disdain is for these traits, not yeah. for the, no. the male's species, right. so to speak. Yeah. It's the no, I mean, I was kind of joking to, to <laughs> clarify. Like, I really do but, yeah. like men and males. Um, but... But let's see. Um, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought. My my two brothers, you know, watching them as we got a little bit older, you know, they were both um, pretty good looking and like popular and promiscuous. Right. And I always felt like I can't be that way. Um, I mean... Part of it is that I was very scared of getting pregnant. Um, my mom taught at uh, Florence Crittenden School, which is for pregnant girls. Um, like their youngest student they, that she ever had was fifth grade, so it's mm. on, all the way on up. Um, and so that was just something that was always like right there for me. And I, I just really didn't want to get pregnant so I was pretty cautious while I kind of watched my brothers be not yeah and um I don't know it, it was noticeable like and I being the youngest and a girl noticed it in a lot of things like well I want to walk to the store well they won't let me right <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah did they hawk your boyfriends or male interests? How are your brothers to like the people, the guys you like and the guys you might have dated? I mean, it's kind of weird because for both brothers, there were a few guys within their friend pool that mm -hmm. I like older started dating and things. Um, so, no, they didn't do that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it just in high school. So my, my middle brother is only one year older than me. Mm -hmm. um, so like, well, he's 16 months older than me. That's how come I know I'm an accident. And <laughs> so, so am I. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but um, but just one year old, one year ahead of me in school, and um, Wait, what was I talk? What was I saying? <laughs> we were talking about, you know, did your did your brothers ever play a role in like, you know, messing with you about the guys you dated or intimidating them, intimidating the guys you dated or any of that stuff? And you were saying no. No. That's cool. I feel like I lost the train of thought though. I think there was something else. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure it'll well, come back. I think it was something <laughs> like. You were afraid to have sex because you were so close to the sex education and, and yeah. young pregnancy. Yes. So you did butt sex for a long time. No, and that then you is came not around to like maybe, just maybe. That wasn't it? No. Okay, that was cool. not All right. it. All right, what's, what's, we'll get back to whatever it is. What were you saying, <laughs> Eula? <laughs> I said it will come back to us. Obviously, uh, it will. Get it? Come yeah. back. Oh, ah, shit. Yeah, Tion's back. Oh, my God. <laughs> Actually, I don't think... No, I did. I probably did think about 
I never thought about using that back door as birth control. <laughs> I never did Really? Because uh-uh. you uh, didn't go to Catholic school. Yeah, I was going to say you must have not uh-uh. been that close to the Catholicism <laughs> at that point in time. Is that the standard teachings of the church? Yes. <laughs> Well, it's the practical. It's it's how the yeah. it, it's the practice. I've definitely heard from people who went to Catholic school that a lot of um, sex that you know the girls were having was anal because that way they're technically they maintain their pure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you don't get pregnant. You're technically a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. That's the term. It's not cheating if it's anal sex. <laughs> came about. So you know. It's funny. Yeah. So from your background to your current relationship, <laughs> right? You sorry, you said background. started out, yeah, mm-hmm. and you just got okay, lost. I'm you can good. stay in that <laughs> world for a little bit. We will take okay. care of this here between two of us. My Beavis and Butthead came out. Oh. <laughs> He's that <at> background. <laughs> um, so you said you're in an open relationship now. Yes, I'm married, mm-hmm. an open marriage. Yeah. How did that come about? Wait, wait, wait! Whoa, whoa! How are we going to go from like high school to like this current marriage? How about <laughs> were you ever married before? How did that marriage go? It didn't go well. You're not, you're not with him. I mean, the, the podcast don't have to be that short. <laughs> it got to be that short. We got, we got a little bit of time. Like, so, All right, fine. Yeah. Tell me about your first marriage and what structure was it? And, you know. Yeah. So my first marriage, um, I got married when I was 23, I think. Yeah, 23 or 24. And, um, you know, it was, in my mind, like the typical romantic story. We met, we... It wasn't love at first sight, but, but like pretty soon after, it was there was a very strong attraction. And... Um, we started dating, and uh, we continued dating through college. I remember my dad asking me, like, what are you going to do? Because he's a little bit older than me, so it was like, How old were you when you met? Um, 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so really just as you got to college, you met him? Yeah. No, well, at the end of high school. Mm-hmm. Right, Yeah. Yeah, because I was 17. I'm, I'm young for my grade. So I think I was 17 when I was a senior and then 17 when I started yeah. college. Yeah. Um, so, But he was a little older than me. And so my dad was like, well, he's going to that college and you're going to this college and what's going to happen? And, you know, I wonder as a now that I'm a parent, I don't think I would ever put it that way to my kid because I think that kind of drove me to be like, I'll show him. We're going to last long distance through this. (laughs) Um, But we did last long distance and and, uh, powerful attraction. And I think also we broke up here and there. Right. um, But always got back together. And I think... um, I don't think it was really my dad's statement. You know, it's not like I said, I vow to prove him wrong right. consciously <laughs> or anything like that. But I think, you know, that kind of idea coupled with like 
I saw my brothers, you know, starting to partner up and settle down too. But after they had done lots and lots and lots, you know. Um, and so just kind of like following the what people do in my family. Like when I think on one side of my family has a lot of cousins and we all kind of got married around the same time and right. started having kids around the same time. And it's like just kind of followed that. Right. Um, but it was also expected, not just by you, but by, like it was normal. Yeah, it was yeah. normal. It wasn't like I was, right. it's not like I was rebelling. Like, no. I'm going to get married to a man, right. no matter what anybody <laughs> says. At this age, right, this age, before this I turned 30. Right, yeah. so question like, so when you guys decided you guys were going to be serious, whenever that time was, was there any discussion about parameters, style of relationships, or... What were the do's and what were the don'ts? No, because it was like um, the discussions was like, this is love. I think this is love. Yeah, this is love. Right. Oh, this feels so good. This is what love is. Right, right. And, and like that. And then like, oh, how often can we see each other? And just... Do you think that being in a long-distance relationship for a number of years had made marriage more attractive? Mm. I don't think I had any other idea. Like, I knew I wasn't going to be a nun. <laughs> right, um, yeah. So I don't think I ever had any real like critical look at do I or don't I want to yeah. get married it kind of and, and I also like <clears throat> I always wanted to be a mom like yeah. and then when I fell in love with this man and so much attraction and so much just connection and um you know I, I looking back it's like some of it or a lot of it maybe is what would be called codependency. Um, but at the time, it just felt so real and so powerful. Right. I think I didn't question anything. I mean, I think around marriage, my only questions was like, where would we get married and how would we do a reception and things like that. Right. Right. So that reminds me of, you know, my first serious boyfriend was back in uh, when I lived in Lithuania and we were about, we started dating, we were 18, 19, and then super fully in love. And then our families just went to different countries from there because it was the time when, you know, the Soviet Union was falling apart, people were leaving. Mm. And, uh, I know we were 20 when we basically, you know, got separated that way. And then we continued the long distance relationship for a couple of years, kind of, sort of. And I know that had we stayed in Lithuania, we would have definitely gotten married, like very quickly. Yeah. Because it was that, right? It was, yeah, of course, you're in love. It's not crazy young. Everyone kind of gets married around the same time. Yeah. Families were matching, you know, like it was, we definitely would have gotten married, had kids, did the whole thing. Yeah. When we 
moved and were forced to have a long distance relationship, I think a lot of um, the reason, it was time, we were growing, but we were also in different countries. Yeah. And I started seeing that we were change, like we were growing apart because I was changing this way and he was kind of becoming more and more settled in this old school way. And I was like, ooh, yeah, no. So it took us five years. By 25, I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not marrying you. Right. Mm-hmm. You're able to see it. But had we not, like, we definitely would have been married and I would have been in your shoes. Right. The escal- yeah. you know, and of course, you know, relationships for most of us have just been escalative, like, you do this. If this feels good, you do this. If yeah. this feels good, you do this. Like and it next. just keeps. It's yeah. kind of like it's, it's kind of like oh, I'm gonna hop on the train and then the train's just gonna keep going. I'm I'm not in control of it. I'm not even questioning the train anymore. Right. It's on a track. What's, yeah. What's and also you know what's the alternative? It's almost like yeah. you know if you were together with somebody for a really long time, committed, and you weren't getting married, people would be like, well, what are you guys waiting for? You know that type of stuff. So assuming. That the marriage was monogamous, correct? Yeah. Um, on my as part. far as you know. <laughs> <laughs> on my <laughs> part, though, 100%. His, his mostly was, too, but, like, in the end, maybe not. But. Right. So was it, it wasn't an issue for you to, to maintain monogamy? Even no. Long distance? I mean, well, so the, the distance wasn't, like, as far as your distance. So it, we were in the same country. We were even in the same state. We just How often weren't did in the you same guys see city. each other? We could still see each other, like, mostly every weekend. Yeah, see, like, that's a huge difference. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge that difference keeps, in yours. That keeps you, like, you know, very, very close. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. For it. sure. I mean, it's even different from Karina's relationship, right? right. Like, our oldest one. They decided to be open before they said, like, he went to college first. She stayed behind. They naturally were like, well, and because they're Bay Area kids and, you know, yeah. they, they're, they're living in the current day. Uh, they just decided ahead of time to be open, but then spent probably good five years long distance. But their long distance was actually long distance. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, by coastal most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that wasn't like, it was enough to keep it together, but not like an ongoing, we'll see each other every weekend type of thing. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, my first husband, he came from a, his, his family, his situation was pretty bad and then pretty dramatic, I would say. And, um, so now looking back i see the dynamic of um me wanting to help him mm-hmm. and like that's kind of how it started was like oh i can't believe you know your parent i don't want to say details but like i can't believe your parents are like this right. basically right. and then uh let me like Take- i didn't say it consciously but it's like i love you i need to help you yeah. right um Whereas, like, the older me now is like, I love you. I want to support you. So, right. like, right. Just a, support just versus like, save. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's what I thought love is is like, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to help you. And you've got, you've got, like, 
you're amazing and you've got some really difficult challenges and right. I and like I'm the, who else would help you of course I will right. but like that became the dynamic pretty early on and that never changed that never changed right which so, is fine if it's uh, reciprocal, reciprocal Con- and conscious, conscious right. and it, you're recognized for what you are doing right. there's gratitude I believe in helping and doing yeah. a lot for people that I love but not if I'm not recognized that if it's not conscious, if it's if I'm not being supported in return. Yeah. yeah and I think that's where it kind of gets into codependency because that right. wasn't the case. There was yeah. no there was no conscious anything to any of that for for any of us. Right. And then, and that's that's common, right? Like yeah. that's how do you learn not to do that? Right. You, unless you are taught by either example or trial and error. Or or try like we that, end yeah, up learning through trial is. and error and error. Yeah. You know, usually I mean examples would be great or someone that actually teaches us that. Right. Like it'd be great to have courses Right. That teaches yeah. people you know. just sharing the raw truth about yeah. the dynamics and challenges of relationships and stuff. We you know right. we keep it very fairy tale. So um, yeah. before we get into the next chapter, I, I want to talk about. You said um, during your marriage, monogamy was maintained by you, but not by your partner. There was some infidelity. Well, um, let me clarify. So before marriage, I was the inf- infidel. I was, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was, you know, one of the times when we broke up and, but then we got back together. Right. Um, then we were married, sorry, for 16 years and it was great in the beginning. It was really bad at the end and his infidelity was very close to the end. Okay. Um, to the. I mean, so much so that, like, when he confessed it, when we were breaking up, I said, that is, that's fine. Like, like it was not even, a, right. right. Thanks for the info. It's it's an uh, afterthought. It's, yeah. It could be anything. Okay, so, so, so there was no need to worry about dealing with the process of going through infidelity and finding your guys self back together as a couple because it was well, on the tail end. I have, I have questions. So when you... Uh, before you guys got married, when you broke up because you had the relationship with somebody else, when you guys worked through it, hmm. was it by you basically admitting your faults and apologizing and deciding that you would not do that again? Or hmm. how did that get worked out? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we went to this rave, basically, and we <laughs> dropped some DMT, and then we just, you know. No, no, we didn't do that. Um, but uh, it was, I had hurt him. And so it was, well, you hurt me. Uh, we love each other. How can you make amends? And that question was put forth by him, and I bought into it. Like, oh, oh shit, I'm going to lose him unless I figure out how do I make these amends and so that's probably like the beginning of some not right and that's 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 what I had assumed because once you have that guilt 
that guilt unless you work through it consciously and understand really what happened, uh, you will carry it for the until something else happens and you realize that, oh, that feeling that I had acquired when this infidelity happened actually is much more complex. And I need to unwind it and understand I wasn't the only one that created that and I'm not to carry the guilt and do extra just because that happened. Right. Yes. Um, I didn't say anything like that to myself. No, of and course it would not. have been helpful if I had. And it's usually hard to when you're the person who supposedly created the act that caused the pain that right. where you know To a person that you love. To like a person I, that you love especially. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as a part of that dance like she's saying, you know, what would be helpful for all of us is in the situation like that, if the other partner doesn't hold it up over your head, you know, if eventually that as a partner heals, they go, okay, I understand it was a mistake and we're working through this together and not like you owe me. Right. Like you're, I, I, I'm the victim. You're the perpetrator. Right. right. Yeah. In, in perpetuity. Like as long as right. we're together. <laughs> For the next Well, yeah, obviously. But also years, that yeah. it's even, even uh, I understand it was a mistake is not a complete statement that's true why why did you because, make that mistake right, because but then, it's why, why why did it happen what happened between us so that you you know in, in for you to not tell me for you to want to do it for you to not tell me to you know right. about right. it like it goes a lot a lot deeper which leads to you know questions as to why do we end up choosing to not be monogamous so that we can have these conversations and be honest with each other. Yeah. Right. Because in a monogamous uh, relationship, I don't even know how to have this conversation without having a ton of defense and right. reactions that would just shut everything down. What do you mean I contributed to this? Right. It's like what, a right, You wrong. should have yeah. told me, well, what would have been your reaction if I told you I was interested in this other person, mm-hmm. but I didn't think that it would break us up. So I chose to go ahead and do it because I didn't see a risk, but I knew if I told you, you would have lost your shit. Yeah, so none of that um, deep dive into motivations or what's going on ever occurred. It was just pretty much, I was drunk. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry, like... I made a mistake. Yeah, and you know, that's pretty common. I mean, yeah. We encounter that in the monogamous framework where there are really hard, unwritten boundaries of what can be shared and what cannot be shared. So it's usually just blanketed as it was a mistake as opposed to, it was a mistake that I didn't tell you, but what I've been feeling is, and we weren't doing this in our relationship, and I was missing that, and I met this person that blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that's yeah. it's usually like, Cause it was shame. a mistake. Yeah. Because it's shame. So because of the shame, you say you can't, you don't right. want to look at it. Yep. And I will never do this again, and can we please move on? And I will make <laughs> it up to you. And what do I you, need to do to make it up to you? Because I don't want to lose you, because right. I really love you. And, yep. Right. And yeah. then that in perpetuity, like it never... If it's not healed for the other person, it's just you will always be that person, the Jezebel, the one with the scarlet leather, scarlet, not scarlet leather, letter, scarlet letter mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's OK. So in conclusion, the relationship sunsetted. 
After, six, after well, 16 we went, years. We went from beginning to end. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. had um, three beautiful children, love and, um, you know, he, he had a very, well, so one dynamic is that he had a very successful career superstar right. in his industry, um, f- genius in that industry. Um, so, but one thing I, I've learned and I learned a long time ago is you may be a genius in one area. It doesn't mean you're a genius in all areas. And mostly not. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so, so three kids and 16 years of marriage. And then, um, he and I both held on for too long for sure. Um, you know, mostly trying to do it for the kids. Right, right. So do it for the kids. Mm-hmm. Let's just, uh, I'll just dive in that real quick before we get it moving. So like we've, we've heard this kind of this topic, like dive in, you know, dive in, damn it, do it for the kids, you know? So what did that mean? Well, what did that mean? You guys are doing it for the kids. Like what were you doing? Um, well, so what that meant was we're going to marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. We, we, we tried many different marriage counselors, um, and they do help, right. uh, but they can't, you know, I mean, I recommend trying counseling, but also with some realistic ideas of what it can and can't do. Right. Um, but try, what did it mean to, for both of us trying to like do this for the kids? Right. Um, for me, it meant participating in the counseling. Um, I remember at one point thinking, or pro- I talked to my mom like a lot around that time, mm-hmm. probably every day, mostly. So, um, you know, w- I was in the Bay Area for the end of our marriage, mostly. Although I would say it was starting to end when we were still in North Carolina. Right. But, um, <sighs> I remember probably telling my mom, I will go to marriage counseling for the rest of my life. That's fine with me. Right. <laughs> we can do it. Uh, like, that's my plan. I yeah, think that's down. what we're right. going to do. Right. And um, because, you know, he's the type of person or our dynamic was such that there were things that there were a lot of things that I couldn't say or discuss without that third party there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I thought, well, I can, I can deal with this. I can do it. I can do everything that we need to do for the kids. Cause we had very, you know, kind of traditional gender roles within our family where he's out being a superstar, making good money, like really good money, you know, and just getting better, like money's getting better and better and better as you get more and more advanced. And then I'm the mom organizing the house, doing everything for the kids. And like, this is not a complaint. I wanted to do that. Right. Right. Um, so just, for me, what it meant doing for doing it for the kids is like, okay, I can be okay with these things, 
about our dynamic that are really frustrating to me. And one of those things was uh, he had social anxiety. Right. So he would like, like I, I would make plans and like I did a lot of effort to, um, <laughs> to uh, meet people and like integrate into a community and that kind of stuff. And then obviously it's just a whole lot of work having three young kids. Um, and for me, I think doing it for the kids was in a way a conscious, like I can put up with the canceling of going to a party 10 minutes before we're supposed to go. Right. If I can have this forum of the marriage counselor. Right. So I you mean, wanted to keep the family together with the help of marriage counseling. Yes. Right. Yeah. And irregardless of if your love for him and passion for him was intact. I mean, I always loved him. Right. And then passion is an interesting word too, because we, we had a lot of passion. I mean, even, even at the end when things were really bad, like right. we still had good right. bedroom times. Right. <laughs> it's weird. But um, yeah, for me, just setting aside like, okay, I can accept um, the extreme disappointment in not socializing. Right. Uh, so that we can keep making it. And, and like that social anxiety thing was only one of many, (laughs) many problems. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me, what I was doing is trying to be way too relational. So, because that's kind of how I'm designed or is to be very relational. So instead of considering myself and what am I doing here and is this right for me and everything, right. it's more like we're a family and I've... You're good. Keep going. And I've got to do uh, like by any means necessary, we're going right. to be a family. Right. So. And stick with it. So in conclusion, when did you decide what was the... the, the symbols of okay this is not it like enough was enough. <laughs> i'm just not gonna be able to do this and we'll, um, we'll wrap up this half of the episode I, can of i yeah. can i just say when it was like abundantly clear that us being together was way more destructive to everyone in our family mm-hmm. than us being apart that's that's clean cut and good to go cool well what we're gonna do is we'll take a quick break And then we'll get into what we're really here to get into, which is Mm -hmm. how you came about creating your own love dynamics beyond the traditional and, you know, all that good stuff. So this is the Black Russian podcast, Tianbu Kuwan, Yoda and Abby. Nothing the war is bitter. You quick to call me a sinner. 
Yes, that track is Victory by Kesnamdi featuring Chronix. This is the Black Russian Podcast, Season 3, Episode 1 of Conversations. We are here with Yoda Mitchell and Abby. So now we're about to get into the meat of it, or the veggie meat of it, the vegan... I don't eat that. The, the, but the, thanks the, veg, for the, the vegetables of it. Thanks for the nod. Yes. So let's go ahead and get into it. Do you have the questions ready for us, Yoda Mitchell? Do I, for real? Okay, so we talked about your background, basically. Yep. And origin, now... Origin story. Origin story, <laughs> yes. All right, we'll speak in Tion. For Abby term. Normal. <laughs> and now uh, you're obviously in a new marriage. Yes. And you guys have presumably changed from monogamy to non-monogamy, some form of it. A couple of years ago. Yes. How did that come about? So my second husband, um, when he and I started our relationship, um, he had been in all different permutations of monogamy, including monogamous um well, monogamous and non-monogamous. Right, right. But then, <laughs> right. Um, the spectrum between those two. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he had always told me that it was my choice. Um, and I had always chosen monogamy kind of by default, I think. How did that feel to you when he first said that it's your choice? Um, I think I didn't really let myself consider it i think i was just kind of i was just kind of like i'm monogamous and that's what i want um and he had uh he had been a part of this community that um i they they um they're sex positive and they they their kind of philosophy is based off of like the female orgasm which that that I think is good but then that community kind of went sour um, and that's so I think I kind of had judgment on that community yeah. and was just kind of like I don't I don't want to I don't I'm not in that community. I'm I don't not like associate that. Right. with, I'm not with like, them. Like, yeah. you know, he, my husband never brought me into any of the friendships 
through that community either. So I wasn't part of it and, um, I just didn't really question it and said we're monogamous because that's what I want. Yeah. Um, and so we were monogamous, like I said, up until 2020 during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? What made you rethink monogamy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, COVID, I mean, yeah. Um, Yeah, COVID times were very difficult. Um, So in the second marriage, you know, I'm bringing my three children in. Um, And then um, my my current husband doesn't have any children. Mm -hmm. So... We, we lived in lockdown, uh, doing the, the at home school and all that was, was really difficult. And then, um, but the most difficult thing happened like right before COVID, which is that my oldest child died Mm -hmm. and that was a tragedy, very hard on me, on everyone in our family. Um, you know, and also obviously on my ex-husband. And that difficulty, then then COVID lockdown life difficulty um, just became really difficult on our relationship. Um, And so at one point during COVID, Um, I just remember trying to connect with my husband, um, you know, repeatedly, like I'm trying to connect with him and and it's not available. And, um, and also like with the grief and everything, I, I was going to therapy, um, and my kids are going to therapy, like, and I'm going to therapy with my kids, like a lot of therapy when a child dies, it's a tragedy. And, but yet my husband wouldn't go to therapy with me. Um, and I really felt like we're not gonna, this is too much on our own. We, I need, we need some therapy to help us through this. Um, and he was not open to going to therapy Um, until I then gave an ultimatum of you either are coming to therapy with me or you need to move out. Um, and he chose therapy. So we started in therapy and with this guy actually is the best therapist I've ever met. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's great. And perfect for us. Um, And helpful, but, you know, a therapist can only do so much. And so, I can't, I don't remember, you know, exactly how long we were going to the therapy, but it wasn't too, too long. And then um, I kind of had the idea of, well, why don't we try the open? Because the closed isn't really, like, there's so, what that 
that um, couples therapist helped me to see is that I have lots of needs and that's okay because I feel like I have a kind of background of like I'm not supposed to have needs yeah. and I'm not supposed to be trying to get them met and right. join the club, um, all that kind of yeah. stuff. And like, Oh, well, uh, you know, training, uh, insinuating that kind of stuff of like, well, you're the mom and well, can't you just suck it up and, and do what needs to be done? Like, why are you, I think most of us in the tradition, well, not even traditional roles, but, you know, heterosexual relationships, that's kind of what it is. Like, it's not even uh, necessarily due to whatever relationship we're in, but our own conditioning. Yeah, conditioning. I mean, discovering that you actually are entitled to having needs (laughs) and doing what you want to do to have them met is like... The best discovery, I think, uh, of all times. Once you hit that, you're like, oh, wow, really? It's up to me? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Like, it's up to me to firstly know what I'm needing and then secondly figure out how to get it. Um, and so with that, with the help of this therapist and this, com- you know, the conversations, um, realizing that I do have needs that it's it's better for me to focus or understand my needs and then try to get them met is the best way to move forward um and then then it was like it's also clear to me that my partner is incapable of meeting some of those needs like he just is not available yeah. he he's doesn't work the same way it's so just the the realization that like oh it's unrealistic it's completely yeah. unrealistic for me to think that he can be all of these things um or do all of these things or provide this type of connection that i'm wanting like it's just not realistic and you know COVID lockdown life um, with my kids and the ages they were and then also in they're in grief I'm in grief like we're all in grief too during lockdown was just a, a really hard spot to be in and um, and since you know we're all in this, the house and isolation yeah. and everything I don't know it ironically kind of provided some perspective of like yeah this isolated life doesn't work like it's it's there's way too much dysfunction and inability like I can't meet his needs he can't meet my needs or we're meeting some of the kids needs but like the kids have huge needs because basically you know we had to or if we wanted them to be learning would require me to be sitting right next to, you know, them saying stay on task and like it was torture. Right. It's so, a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that perspective in isolation of COVID and, you know, the ultimatum of 
come to counseling with me, otherwise move out. You know, I, I don't say that like in a, in a fit of passion or anything like that was a thought out, like, I don't know what else to do. I it can't stay like this. Um, so yeah, just realizing within the isolation that this isn't enough to meet all my needs and I'm not enough to like, I'm not meeting his needs either. So yeah, we decided to be open. Right. So question, you decided or to, I decided to be open. Right. Cause remember it had always been my choice. Right. He was like, you can have it however you want to yeah. do it. Right. And he's sincere about that. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. So when you guys, when it, you guys decided that because he, you know, when you decided you wanted to do this, what were, did you guys have any rules or any boundaries or what were any of the agreements you guys had? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So we, I'm thinking back at first, at first it was definitely like, okay, we're open, we're, we're going to be, let's see, we had, we had just a very few rules, like, it's not quite, it's like, if, if there's a partner who, if there's a secondary partner who feels icky to the, my primary partner for whatever reason. Right. And icky is a technical term. Um, <laughs> then, you know, we're not going to force it. Like it, it's not quite like, Oh, I have to meet them and have approval, but it's, it's like, let's be careful with who is going to be allowed to be influencing each of us. And like a secondary partner of mine um, even if my husband doesn't even ever meet him is going to be influencing him in some way. Right. Based upon your guys' dynamic. Yeah. So yeah. So kind of like veto power. If, if that person for some reason feels really just right. not right. Right. Okay. Um, but other than that, it was just, uh, I don't think we, I don't remember like, sitting down and saying like, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. But we probably did actually because our um, marriage therapist uh, has lots of experience with um, supporting people that are in open relationships. Right. Well, that's helpful. Because he's Bay Area right. guru, counselor, like, you know, therapist. Right. Um, and so I think he he helped us kind of have those beginning conversations. Um, I just, I don't exactly remember them because right. COVID well, and right. <laughs> well, that's cool. There wasn't any glaring rules. There was no, you can't do this or I don't want you to do that. Or if you're going to do this, you must. So there was, it sounds like it was, you know, pretty amicable and open. It wasn't, there was no rigid. It wasn't rigid. It was, but it was like, um, well, I, you do your thing, I do mine. And, um, we don't necessarily have to tell each other what we're doing. We right. just have to share like logistically, right. Right. For logistical I'm reasons. I'm going to be gone or I'm going to have a right, guest. Right. That and, kind yeah, of thing. Right, right. And, um, and, uh, 
you know, be respectful of the primary partner as far as like using protection and things like that. Right. Good judgment or however. So you guys pretty much trusted each other though. There wasn't a lot of oversight on each other's activities. No, not at all. Do you think it's because uh, a lot of it is because your uh, current husband has had so much experience with it? Um, probably for him. Um, he also is in, in this way a different kind of person where he doesn't really have jealousy um, or concern for what I might be doing. Um, so, so yeah, he was really comfortable opening up. Um, but it's, it's interesting. I was, became a little bit uncomfortable because I started being pretty active right away and he didn't want to. So like actively, you know, looking to date. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to. And so, Ironically, I was like, I was like, I wish he would. I would, I would feel more balanced, you know, like or more comfortable or more fair, right? Yeah, uh, if he was pursuing something. So that's a flip of what most relationships go go through. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, you know, I think opening up and monogamous marriage to non-monogamous marriage usually sounds more, you know, uh, trial and error, uh, feelings, high feelings, you know. Right. Lots of jealousy. Lots of lots jealousy, of uh, rules uh, that go from very narrow to gradually, hopefully, expanding as waters are tested more and more. Yeah, I mean, I think that... <laughs> Because our relationship wasn't in a good place anyway. Right. Um, that, that like the jealousy and that kind of stuff for me wasn't, wasn't, I mean, and he wasn't pursuing anybody either. Right. So it wasn't really happening for me. And, um, and you know, to his credit, like he was sincerely, happy for me to like get out and meet some people and have my needs met like he really wanted me to do that so he really knew he couldn't do that at that time so there was never a time when you that when he made you feel uncomfortable not about this. Right, right, right. right. I mean, <laughs> right. About, about, we're talking about, about you know, dating, dating outside, of, outside of your No, he didn't make me, like, he didn't yeah. do anything that made me feel, do or say anything that made me feel uncomfortable other than, like, not pursuing like, someone. Right. And, and then I felt uncomfortable. Yeah, right. it's right. like that's me, I'm feeling. the one who right. who right. had things that I felt uncomfortable about. Like, his inactivity in the, in the realm of dating made you feel slightly uncomfortable because you felt like yeah yeah and then but you know i did recognize like that's a there's your right. practice right there of it's not gonna be even right now right it's like not or one for one. right it's yeah. it's usually not even 
And, you know, we talked about this a bit in other episodes, but, you know, I mean, you've talked about when we first met. I remember you telling me about this is one of your big, like, things. And we were talking about together about, you know, the the ben- one of the benefits of non-monogamy or open relating is that each person gets to define what their freedom looks like and what their balance looks like. And sometimes someone's balance is more social and someone's balance is more isolated but as long as both parties are having the opportunity to do what they want that's where the fair and balanced is is that he gets to choose to not date you get to choose to date and you know as opposed to if i'm going out on tuesday night you should be going out on tuesday (laughs) night because i'm going to feel weird if you're at home and i'm not you know like and that's the beauty of it is like everyone's will look so different you know yeah and like for me that that aspect of my programming of like I can't, I feel like I'm cheating even though I'm not because right. it's, yeah. I mean, I think that everyone, uh, we all, or at least I am programmed that way. It's really the hardest thing to do is to overcome my own hangups about it. Yeah. Uh, and then I feel like the rest is, you know, much more smooth sailing. So it's our own, the last, the last, last thing is just like we have to allow ourselves to acknowledge we have needs and pursue them. Yeah. It's in the same category. Yeah, it's part of the human needs to connect with other people on levels that we feel we want to connect with them on. Yeah, and that's that one is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not easy. No, it's not. Uh, what? So you know, now that you have been uh, dating for a while. Mm-hmm. And you've had an opportunity to uh, meet people and create relationships. Do you find that you have, uh, you know, how do those feelings that you have, you know, successfully avoided in your primary relationship, mm-hmm. like jealousy and rules, uh, how do they feel in your other relationships? Are they different? Is there do you have rules that you go by with your other partners? Do you feel there is more jealousy or the same no jealousy at all? How does that feel? Um so how does how does my how do my secondary right. I mean I don't yeah. I always feel I mean, like the language of, is clunky, right, I know, but just, my secondary partner partner or partners um I mean, I think there are some kind of, I wouldn't say rules, but maybe norms um, in each relationship that I have with anybody, sort of, you know, like a long, a long term or ongoing relationship. Um, Some, but not really rules. I, I don't have. I don't think there are rules um, other than, so I'm kind of, luckily, uh, well, Tian is (laughs) helping me learn (laughs) um, how to do this, and like he's 
got a lot of experience, as you know. He's got a whole podcast about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I happen to be the <laughs> I, might, I might have heard, ev- I might be the only person that has heard every minute of every episode. So there you go. Um, but, you know, he's got a lot of wisdom and um, good advice about how to navigate uh, the secondary relationships. And um, I think just if if I had to say, like, what is one rule, it is be honest and open um, with the with a secondary partner. Right, so like to me, you know, we expand the number of people that we're intimate with, right? Safe sex comes in. Yeah. Safe mental, emotional space comes in. Yeah. So if we're now expanding the number of people that we connect with like that, and presumably they have other connections, it can grow exponentially. And I think there are some, people that try to control the whole chain as far as they can. I think COVID was an interesting experiment because people had all kinds of (laughs) formulas for that to try to connect with people, but then you still kind of lose control after like second layer. And then the question is, do you do you have the right to control that? I mean, do you have desire energy when does how, how does risk go down tremendously when you stop controlling after a fifth layer or like mm-hmm. right, you know yeah. things like but like safe sex for example yeah and then because it was during covid it was also like for for i think the open up was like an intellectual thing for a while because mm-hmm. the vaccines weren't even out so right. it wasn't until vaccines became available that it was like oh i could actually right you know meet a human in, in, <laughs> real, in real life yeah and and even that is like um yeah i mean health safety uh for viruses or or um stds stis yep. um is kind of they're in a similar category right because yep. it was like I I am not going to see anyone who's not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that became like definitely a rule. It's But I, I wouldn't, I don't know that we consciously like sat down and said, well, I will only see someone who's vaccinated. I mean, for me, it was just like, I'm not interested in seeing anyone who's not vaccinated. Right. So it just kind of, was a more natural rule. Um, and yeah, uh, for STIs is condoms, uh, regular checking and, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing where it, it felt really lopsided for me. Cause it's like, I have all this, like, I have to share with, with you about what I'm doing and my protocols. And, and I did, I did just kind of let him say like, well, this is how the protocols should be like, as far as wear a condom with a secondary partner and do this regular testing and find out, you know, like you need to know who are they seeing. Right. Um, 
not like, oh, you need to know the name and address right, right. and <laughs> life story of and who they're, they're seeing. They're but like, STIs and who all that, is yeah. this person and like, what are they into? Right. And um, yeah. And like, you know, what are their, do they have any communicable diseases? That is right. a question you've got to mm. ask and like find the, right. find the proof. <laughs> like the, the core characteristics the and the judgment of, of who is what and yeah and it's a uh, it's fascinating because like we we're talking about the during covid it's like if you're seeing somebody and they're seeing somebody like do you have the right to be like well who are your partners and who are your partners see and what far as it goes and so sti is kind of playing a role in that and it just you know can be just after a while it's like judgment do i trust this person's decision making process do i feel like they're authentically and openly yeah communicating with me because there's no way i'm going to be able to track the partners 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 right um so how did you go about meeting people when you first started opening it up um so so my husband's uh one of his best friends who he um they practice martial arts together once a week they have taught um martial arts and like and and then they also have taught like a women's self-defense and knife fighting uh, classes so they're real close they've been close for years and um this friend runs uh or is the moderator of a a facebook group right right so that was where i started and it was like okay so just start with uh you know, lurking on the right perusing. <laughs> yeah. And and that's really all I've ever done on that right on that Facebook group. Um, but it was helpful and like sincere questions and um, you know, the kinds of questions that like I had, like how do how do you do this? Like how right, do you right. what do you do if you know, you have young kids and how, how do you take turns and things like that? Like lots of questions on that forum. And, and so, uh, my husband's friend is a moderator of that forum. And, um, cause it is, you definitely have to be invited. (laughs) Um, and so he was a helpful guide for, for a while in the beginning too. the friend who was the moderator who has lived this life um for a long time but like lived it in a different way so not in a a legal marriage or anything right just in a lifestyle right yeah yeah so then you so when you started to meet people you were going to date christian mingle christian mingle was the first one (laughs) (laughs) right so dating apps yes yes so how was the experience being a woman on a dating app opening it up trying to find (laughs) you know very very uh eligible non-monogamous or bachelors in the world um yeah so let me preface that with uh i have another friend who is like a best female friend of mine Mm -hmm. and she has been um open and poly for a really long time Right. Well, not a really long time, but like several years. Right. Um, and interestingly, the way she and I met is that she was dating my ex-husband. Oh. And um, <laughs> we clicked. And then when they broke up, we kept clicking. And 
<laughs> they were broken up. So, so let me ask you, you said open and poly. What do those terms mean to you? What are they? Well, I mean, I'm. they mean kind of the same thing, but I'm trying to emphasize like it's very poly. There's a lot. Okay. Whereas I'm I mean, not that. Everyone has their own definition of open and poly. It's yeah. fascinating to collect them. So to me, no one knows what they are. Like multiple, like many. Right. Um, whereas open just means like options. Like I'm open to different ranges. Yeah, of I can. Like I see you. a logic. You know, yeah. when I look at the word polyamorous. I, my emphasis goes on amorous. Yours goes on poly. Yeah. Well, and especially as a way to describe this person, because and and this person and their um, style, domestic yeah. partner too. Like they're they're very active. Very active. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm we should not, start. but sh- but she's been uh, a good like a mentor for me, mm-hmm. or I can ask her anything. Um, advice, that kind of stuff. So she recommend, she said, well, just, you know, create a profile, choose an app and create a profile. And, and my first thing was like, I know geographically and with answers and things, it's going to match me with my ex-husband. And I do (laughs) not want that. I'm like, I'm not going to go on there. I don't want that. And she was like, oh, it's easy. You just, you just you can put that in as a setting, like don't match me with this person. And I was oh, like, really? I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. I was like, really? So that was very freeing. And then I was like, oh, okay. I, 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 cause I was thinking like, that's not an option for me. Cause I don't <laughs> want to be matched with him. Like, I'm I sure you're not the only one that <laughs> there is this option there. <laughs> yeah. But she knew it. She didn't want to be matched with him either. Yeah, so she's yeah. like, yeah, that's what I do. I figured it out. So that's how cheating people do it. Oh. You can put a bunch of your, your wife's friends in as a person to not match with. Mm. And then I don't you see can how avoid you could do all, I mean, I mean, you know, like just, just, just the, the ones that you, you know for a fact, if they saw you, I'm cheating <laughs> and they see my Instant profile, text. they run to my wife and tell her. Yeah. I mean, maybe this was on, this was Tinder for that one. So, right. um, so yeah, then I created a profile like this was all. I'm not a fast mover on any of this, and I'm not really into social media that much. Mm-hmm. And like the the idea of putting like a dating profile up was like, what do I even say? Like it was just really intimidating for me. But you did it. I did. And look at that. It worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. It did. So what what are what were some of the what are some of the cool things about the experiences you've had on the dating apps? And then we'll ask what was some of the not as cool experiences as a woman on the dating apps. You mean like literally using Just the what app? Did, yeah, like what did you like about that the you know, the ability to, you know, use that to connect with people? Yeah, I mean, um well during COVID lockdown it was nice to be able to you know interact with people even though it wasn't in person right um and uh 
it was an ego boost, like when I, when I get reactions <laughs> that are... Once you, you plus click, the profile is up. And yeah. then you check your inbox and you've got just a bag of dicks. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I had started to... <laughs> yes. I had, I had started to think of... But it was... I, it was... It was interesting. It's interesting to just like read profiles and like what are what are guys putting out there and then and then the ones that is like yeah the face isn't in there and yeah I think this guy's married, you know. Right. It's um it was interesting for me as someone who's just curious about people in general. Yeah. Um and yeah, it, a bit of an ego boost of like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm getting yeah, some I'm responses hot. at least. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, that, that, it's always good for that. Yeah. Um, but then also overwhelming. So That was like, a good thing? We're talking about the good things. First. Oh, okay, good. We're still, have on, you good. Made, We're have still you, on the good <laughs> list. Okay. Have you made any friends that you're not sexual with? Um. That you met on the dating sites? I mean, I'm going to say yes, but that, but that they, if we continue, would probably become sexual because that's part of what our attraction is. Like or that there is an attraction. Right. I mean, this is still a hopeful. They're building, right. not not one that you <laughs> not like an established. Like you know, I've made at least two really good friendships that right. are not sexual at all. Even though, you know, I definitely put in there like I'm looking for friendships because I sincerely am, and like like I told you guys, I had two brothers. I've had a lot of male friends throughout my life. Um, I do like having male friends, um, but has there been a connection that turned into some kind of a friendship through an app like that? Yeah. No, not really. Not yet. Right. Not yet. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. You know, once, once the woman removes a punani on there, there's a lot of guys <laughs> just, you know, they don't know how to it's it, possible. <laughs> and, and when it happens, it's like, wow, that's really, it's a great it's, filter. It's a, it's really, really cool. And then you really can rely on that friendship. Right. Yeah. Cause they weren't um, just in it just for the wing wing. But you have to go through it. Like you have to be very direct with like, Hey, you know what? Sex is not on the table. Yeah. And then see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, and I haven't felt like I wanted to say that yeah. to anyone yet, so. Yeah, there you go. There. We'll check in on uh, season three, episode 15 when we come back. We're <laughs> a couple of years from now. I mean, you know. Season seven, episode 12. Yeah. So what are some of like the wacky or just the less favorable things about dating on the dating apps or, you know? <laughs> um. does start to feel overwhelming to me like it, it feels like there's lots of it feels like work right like it kind of feels like coming to an email inbox with like 200 email <laughs> messages to read and <laughs> return and it's like I can't do that um so then I kind of am like, do I skim through everything or do I just choose a few and really look? Um, so 
just managing it and time management and like communication management um, or just in general energy management of like, right. I don't want to like, this is, I feel like I could get sucked in. And I mean, I, I definitely have like, this is entertaining. Let me, I'm going to spend time on here. I'm going to read these, you know, messages or look at their profiles and really look and try to figure them out. Um, especially during like COVID, like, okay, mm-hmm. this is entertainment. And right. I, I can spend the time. Um, but like in general, I, I do in that way, similar to like email, it's like, Oh crap, I'm kind of scared of how much is going to be on there the next time I check it for me to, right. to deal with. So then I guess it helps that I'm totally fine with my inbox sitting at 18,000 emails <laughs> does not phase me. I do not lose sleep. I mean, I'm totally fine. I never clean out my inbox in my dating apps. Tion looks at it like, why are those people still there? I'm I like, clean my shit out. I don't. I'm like, it doesn't bother me one iota. If there's a ton of messages, I'm like, I. until and if. I feel like I'm interested in looking at them. They're just going to sit there. And if it's a year, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> um, but that's balance. just my, 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 you know, just mine. I mean, yeah, no, but that's a good, that's a good perspective. And that's what I'd like to have. I think what helps me is that I look at it as a tool for me and not an obligation. That right. is like the last thing that I need to feel as an obligation. Yeah. At all. And even if I started talking to someone and then I don't feel like it just for no good reason, I'm like, it's not, I'm not obligated. Guess what? I really am not. Yeah. And I mean, I want to, I know that in like intellectually, but I want to like really yeah. <laughs> truthfully be coming from that yeah and i think you know like have you had to say you know like you you've spent some time you thought you were interested in the person you've spent some time talking to them uh you got off the app you're texting whatever and then you meet them and you're like yeah i'm not interested and then you have to tell them yeah have you done that um somewhat yeah so I haven't said I'm not interested. I've said more like, I don't think I have time for this right now. Um, which maybe is like a cop out or. But a, the real a reason nice was that you were not interested. Say, I'm right? not interested yeah. because yeah, whenever somebody, I mean, that's what kind of whenever somebody tells me they didn't have time or whatever, I'm like, well, yeah, because you chose not to. Right, because if you <laughs> were interested, you would find time. Yeah. It's all in and yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I've just kind of used that, like, I don't think I really have the time for this as my reason. And it, and I mean, it's true, but it is like, yeah, yeah cause I don't want to make the time. Right. Too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's that process, the dating app process is a super good learning, uh, tool. Yeah. On, on how to really, because it's not about you and anybody else. It's just literally about you. Yeah. It's very, very focused on just you. Which is kind of like the lesson of all of this mm-hmm. is 
what am I doing and why? What do I want? And like, that's when, so on Tinder, I started thinking of Tinder as a game of like the wheel of penis. So I can just (laughs) click the button and the wheel spins and pop, there comes one up and I can engage if I want to. And like, it's kind of, I think that was my like funny, but it's still true. Like it really does feel like that to me. Um, But that was like my way of managing, you know, my feelings of like, Oh, I owe them a message or or I feel bad. There's so many messages. So, so kind of thinking of it as like a video game and I can, right. Right. Detach it. It makes me think a wheel of fortune, like you spin the wheel and then, um, yeah, so that was a way to detach from, from yeah. guilt. And um, and I think a good perspective for what I'm talking about, which is what the real learning is for me in all of this experiment with an open relationship, and that is that I want to be my own primary partner. Mm-hmm. So I'm responsible for deciding, like, do I want to spin the wheel of Tinder and see what pops up? Do I want to send a message to this person? Do I want to, like, delete the, like, delete our connection? Right. Unmatch, I guess Mm -hmm. that's that's the technical term. Right. Um, Yeah. So it's been showing me that. That like the app, the actual right. app also shows that part of what this whole experiment is. Yeah. Yeah. So you know about your family, you get you have you have kids and a partner and stuff like that. So how do you? To what degree do you choose to share with your kids or not? Or what are your boundaries with them? And what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> That's a good question. Um. I think again, I have a, I have a kind of frame of mind of like I need to to tell everybody everything, mm-hmm. like and and that like if I'm not that I'm being deceitful, mm-hmm. um, and so I went through a lot of like what do I say to my kids and. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I say it to them? And and then it kind of eventually dawned on me, like, I, I don't have to. Right. <laughs> um, I can just say, like, this person is a friend. And, right. Um, but the thing is, like, my kids are not young. Like, they're, they're getting older and older, of course. <laughs> Everybody does. But, like, they're teens now. And my daughter's pretty perceptive and she saw Tinder pop up on my phone one time. (laughs) And so she was, and you know, and she did this thing and, and like, this is where my guilt came back. I was like, Oh my gosh. Cause she said, Tinder, what's that mom? And I was like, Oh, it's an app. (laughs) And that was it. She's like, uh, (laughs) and I like grab my phone. (laughs) And um, but you know, to me, she seemed to have like a knowing. Like I thought she knew exactly what was up, and then I was worried about that. Um, 
But she didn't really know. And I think she knows enough that, you know, I have friends and they're male and I see them sometimes. And that's all she knows. And then my son, I think he's completely oblivious, which is fine too. Um, But again, it comes back to me and like me realizing I don't have to be explaining myself to everybody and explaining exactly what I'm doing. And my kids don't necessarily need to know anything about this or they can know, you know, just a little bit. And that, and you know, that is like, this person is a friend. This person is my friend. And to me that that's more, uh, I had to come to that realization. I thought I, I thought I was supposed to be explaining myself to everyone. Yeah. And like and then also with like my neighbors. Um, so my neighborhood, the houses are really close together and that kind of stuff. So in the beginning, I was concerned about that. Like, what do I say to my neighbor? Right, like some, they see people come in and out, right? (laughs) People that don't live there, men that don't live there. Yeah, Um, and then I had the, like, I kind of realized I don't have to say anything. Right. And they can see whatever they're going to see, and then if they want to ask me, then I can talk to them about it at that time. And, And so that was a revelation that was really helpful, and kind of stopped me from worrying about it yeah but like okay going back to being a parent like uh being in an open relationship versus monogamous has that changed anything in how you are as a parent Hmm. you look coming with them questions now she's (laughs) you're like Next level, going deep. <laughs> it's a valid um, question. I think, you know, everyone always asks, how do you tell your kids? How do you tell? And I think the underlying, like, the better question or a bigger question is not how you tell the kids or what do you tell the kids, but how do you parent? Not ha- having gone through the realization in your own life that you need, that you have your needs. Right. Uh, you know, you're in your 40s. You lived for 40 years without knowing you had needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you want your kids to discover that they have needs and that they are their own primary partners and they need to stand up for themselves and create relationships that are not, that, that there is no standard um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to impart all of that wisdom to them. I can't just sit them down and say that right, to them. Right. It's, it's more about, um, and this is kind of my approach to parenting overall, not just with respect to relationships, um, is I think the best thing for me to do for them is to be a, a model. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, like 
even vegetables, it's like I can't force them to eat the vegetable, but what I should do is eat vegetables in front of them, um, which kind of goes against what I'm saying of like, I don't have to tell them exactly what I'm doing, but it, I don't consider it like deceitful to say this, Hey kids, this person's my friend. Like that's true. And I've always wondered with, you know, growing up in the Bible belt and, um, everything that comes along with sexual relationships is like, why are we so concerned with the part that happens in the bedroom? Like, isn't that between the two people that or the people that are in there? And why do we have to name it or define what it should be or what, what the two people should be or right. if it should be two people or not? Right. And right. so, so um, I think, I think in that way, it's just kind of a, philosophy of life that I'm trying to impart on them which is do it the way that makes sense and works for you and it doesn't doesn't mean that it's gonna look like the same as everybody else's um and you have needs and you are responsible okay. for getting the needs met. Yeah. And, you know, and that's hard um, as a mom, right? Because as a mom, you're used to, I need to figure out all their needs and then take care of all of them. Um, well, but also, you know, when you're, you're non-monogamous does not mean that you do not have partnerships, you know? Right. Like, and it's just a different way of creating a partnership on on principles that are not uh, just one way. Right. Or skewed so heavily on one person providing everything to you. Yeah. And I think that um, that right there where one person providing, like the idea of one person meeting all your needs, which is the idea of what monogamous marriage is or the background of what the idea Mm -hmm. is. Um, I've determined that that's actually crazy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's definitely. Tell tell everyone, (laughs) tell your kids, tell everybody this is crazy. Right. And I I think a big part of, you know, when we delve into this realm beyond the assumptive norm of monogamy, we start creating our own balances of love and how we want partnerships and what they look like, what they sound like. Um, a big part of the discovery is just figuring out our verbiage. How do we communicate this to different people, different places? Who do we choose to communicate it with and how not, and, and who do we not choose to communicate it with? And, you know, um, in, in the perspective of kids, like we come about and start thinking about this, like, you know, our, when our kids came to the age when they started dating and they started, we knew that they were starting to come across these assumptive roles that we all fell into. We, wanted to let them know early that this one way that everybody seems to do it is not the only way. And, you know, and this, that, and the third, and what's cool is a lot of the, our kids are about the same age too, is that they're so much more predisposed to so much more that, you know, gender fluidity and bisexual and all these things that it, you know, we found, I know for me initially, my 
concern was more my old feeling of like, what will they think? Yeah. Um, as a, you know, they were much more like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But I, we felt it was important for us at a certain time to be like, you don't have to have one partner and then we don't. And this is how we live. So that way we didn't, they didn't have to find out the hard way when they're 20, 30, 40 married with kids or whatever that they didn't have to choose that way if they don't want to yeah like to me that's been the driving force for you know a lot of things most things that i do is to help them learn things that i'm learning in my 40s and 50s learn them faster yeah so that they have less to undo and that they have more time and opportunities to enjoy being fully who they are Right. Yeah. And then, you know, however we, you know, everyone has their own different parenting relationships and styles and and ways. uh, And, you know, however that fits into what you do, I think it's important to broaden the idea that or, or what you have discovered needs to be shared. Right. Yeah. In what ways? It's fascinating. And this is what we're doing in the season is, you know, having these conversations so our listeners can really see and hear that it doesn't all look the same way. A good relationship, a healthy relationship does not have to look this way. They look very different. And there's many different definitions of success, of freedom, of love, of partnership. And that and stuff like that. So we're really appreciative that you are here and, and sharing and, these things. And it's not all about sex. Right. Sex maybe is the initial. Right. Right. And the thing that is hard to get through the most and first. But then the benefits are really so spread out through the whole life that sex becomes what it should be. It's part of it. Right. But it's absolutely not the driving force, the main one, you know, like for me now, the driving force is uh, connecting with people that think the way I think, whether I have a sexual relationship with them or not. Uh, Helping the kids learn what we have learned. Yeah. And uh, just like, you know, having the, luxury of having these more intimate relationships with people that I don't think I would have had before. Yeah, I feel the same. And um, I don't know why what you're saying is making me think again of the word polyamorous. And um, I think in my heart, I, I feel polyamorous. Like I love people and that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I'm in a sexual relationship with the most of the people that I love I'm not and never will be um so for me personally that's kind of what this adventure is opening up is like how do I kind of be my authentic self which is a, a loving person and no, that's not about sexuality. That's about like, I want to have good connections with people. Uh, the circle of love that like I learned about from bell hooks, I think is, um, what I'm, what I'm cu- cultivating, yeah. or, you know, trying to cultivate. And I want to, 
share that with my kids, you know, not all the time and, Hmm. you know, one step at a time and as they get older and, you know, and, um, so I just, I think for me, keeping my heart open to love and that that's what I really want to show them. And then it's not really about, um, the sex part of it. So, you know, in our experience, when it comes to couples opening their relationship, we always say there's no guarantee it's going to be the thing that saves your relationship or ruins it. But one thing for sure is it allows the two people to see more of who they are without the confines of the traditional structure. So sometimes that truth in that space does all types of things. So I have to ask you, how has opening your marriage affected your marriage? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I would say, you know, we were, we were struggling with our relationship um, before we opened up. And once we opened up, uh, we both felt a sense of relief Mm -hmm. in the beginning. So we felt, um, we both felt just more space, more space to be our, ourselves each. Right. Um, or another, another aspect of that, or maybe another way to put that is, uh, we both felt a sense of relief from, from trying to meet the other person's needs and knowing that we're not doing it. Right. You know, that was, that was what was the dynamic that led to um, us going to couples therapy. And then also a relief from each one of us trying to get our needs met and knowing that we're not getting our needs met. So, so those two kind of reliefs from that pressure, Mm -hmm. um, gave us both a a sense of relief and a, a feeling of openness, um, which was welcomed by both of us. We both noticed that, right. discussed it, and um, thought that it was helpful and a good thing to have at that time for sure. Right, so it released some of the pressure. Yeah, the it's like a valve. It's like right. a pressure valve release. Right. Yeah, because yeah, it seems like the big assumption is one person can meet all of your needs, and in reality... Most people in monogamous relationships have to make sacrifices because most people don't find a person who can fulfill all of their needs because our needs are always changing. Right. And sometimes it requires different perspectives, different people, um, and different dynamics, which we can't get always from one person unless they're schizophrenic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're just, he and I, we're just really... um, in a lot of ways, we're mismatched. We just don't have, like, I want to talk a lot. Right. And he doesn't. Right. Um, and sense. so so that one right there is, like, instead of, you know, 
going to going like their traditional route of going to a counselor who says, let's figure out how you guys can have more meaningful conversations and satisfy this need for Laura. It's like, okay, how about I find uh, somebody else that I can talk to and talk a lot, you know, instead of like trying to force him who he's not like that. Um, Right. And that's the, the cool thing about opening the dynamic is you get to both say, um, we're both right. Yes. He, he's right in wanting more quiet time and not being obligated to talk more. And you're right in your desire to want more social interactions and talking. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really good point because that's what I think is at the heart of what deciding to have an open relationship gave us. Right. Is, um, and, and it's funny that you say you're both right because that's what our um, marriage therapist says. Like, yep. that's his perspective. It's like right. neither Let's, one of you is wrong. Right. You just have really different needs. Right. Um, so, you know, for opening up, for me, it was an exercise in, well, what are my needs first? Right. <laughs> right. And then um, having the space to, like I said look for other people that I can fulfill those needs with rather than, you know, maybe doing the same exercise, what are my needs, and then trying to force my husband to figure (laughs) out how he can do that and then him doing, you know, and him doing the same thing. And, um, you know, it really is a pretty big mismatch for us um, or has been in the past, you know, because... um, he his needs are really opposite of mine right. in a lot of ways. Right, and that's cool. And you guys seem like due to this space um, changing as far as relationship to more of an open dynamic, um, you didn't have to lose love and you didn't have to resent somebody for not being able to provide you with what you need. And it kind of allows the shift and the transition to where the love is still intact, the care is still intact, even though, you know, you couldn't do it all in one space. You didn't have to, which is most That's people are like, if we're not working in this relationship because we're not meeting each other's needs, we just have to dismantle the whole thing. Right. And people rarely think about, well, maybe it's not we aren't a match for each other, but maybe the structure is not a match for us because there are things that you need and he needs that are separate. And there's no reason you can't both get those with the freedom to do what you want to do if love is still there to where it's not like if you can't provide me this, I don't want to be near you and I (laughs) I want to burn it all down. So that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, it's not like, oh, we opened up and we had these realizations and now everything's great. Right. It's still a process of working on our relationship. Um, And, but I mean, I guess your original question was what was, what did, what was the effect of opening up the relationship? Um, And I mean, I would, I definitely want to add that for hindsight, what I can say is I am sure that had we not opened up our relationship, we would be over. Right. So um, opening up was a good idea for us at this time and to work through what we're going through right now. And I can't say where our relationship is, is headed. Right. Um, 
but still is important for both of us to feel that space that we created with the open relationship so that we can navigate where we're, you know, so that each one of us can navigate where we're going now individually and then, you know, kind of meeting to see where, what is the relationship that we're having with each other and how is it structured now? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. It sounds like either way, whichever way it goes, with opening dynamic, you can be honest and you can be clear with each other, which is, you know, which is everything. So there's no, there's no golden goose that if you stay monogamous, you'll last forever happily. Or if you open up and may just end things, it's like, no, opening it up just allows us to have more open dialogue, more open experiences and see where that takes us. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, cool. and, um, you know, cause my first marriage was a long marriage and, in in a lot of ways, more traditional roles and everything. And I mean, my thinking in that marriage was very bound to the roles. Right. Whereas, I mean, having the open, being in, in an open relationship allows you to actually to think outside the box on what does this relationship and, and all and all of and like the secondary relationships too like right. what does that look like well because right. the secondary relationship is new and interesting right. to me and different yeah. levels of time management and energy management <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Wallaroo just realized that being in a monogamous mind state and not like we've been in a non-monogamous relationship ever since we started but doesn't mean I had a non-monogamous mindset that's a totally different episode but being in a monogamous mind state mindset both they both work okay ESL is a beautiful thing fed into my ego because it's a selective process it's you choose the one and that one is the one that is worthy of you. Like to me, I am the best thing ever on earth. Therefore, this partner of mine is blessed with my, you know, choice, Mm -hmm. choosing them. It's a very egocentric, it fed into my ego continuously. Mm -hmm. For me to become an open person, I had to break the ego down and allowing, like your goal is to, be open to love, that's what counters the ego to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that really makes me a better friend, a better partner, a better person, a better like parent, everything. Just the colors are white, like brighter, life is bigger, everything is more open. And that to me is what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, okay, I'm hearing you ladies talk and it's, it's amazing and profound. So to be clear, non-monogamy, poly, and open stuff is not just about sex? Uh, no. That's right. Oh, shit. <laughs> Who would have thunk? I have not had, you know, <laughs> sex with another man in quite some time. Okay, okay, so I'm learning. I'm, I'm picking this up now. I'm picking this up. So you're basically saying the essence of being open to love and movement is the root and one of the many fruits of this could be sex exactly it's the idea of 
give love, create love, more love comes to you versus hoarding the love. You know, yes. like oh. I, coming yeah. from this, love is a rare, rare, rare commodity and you have to right. protect it. Yeah. To no, actual love grows the more you feed it it grows more and you feed it by loving more people and accepting love from more people and that's how you have more to give and then you receive more and that's how it grows and you have that one selected love person that's like a cactus and then you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm learning i'm learning a lot so wait just to be clear because you know a lot of people may come from where I'm thinking right now. So you mean just because or you're not obligated to have sex and date all the time because you're open or polyamorous? I have not had sex. Because most of my in, friends who are not in this assume that because you are that you have sex and date all the time and go to like poly parties <laughs> and all this stuff. Yeah. Is that is nope. that is that not true? You, just because We've, you can't I mean, mean you, do. you know, your friends know me, so they know that <laughs> I have not dated in like quite some time. Right. So the lesson I'm, I'm trying learning, to like right. you, know, you know, I'm back to trying to You got to, good filters. You got good filters. So the lesson I'm learning is just because you can do whatever you want doesn't mean you do this one specific thing. And I'm I'm jo- I'm being facetious with my with my <laughs> attitude, but the, one of the assumptions is with open or non-monogamy polyamory is just because you are open and non-monogamous doesn't mean you have to date all the time or date any time or have sex all the time or any. It just means you have the freedom to choose what works best for you and amend that as you go. It's not a mandate to do anything more or less than what you want to do. That's exactly. amazing. Okay. So yeah. before we go, since... Um, you've been very gracious in sharing your mm-hmm. space and time, Miss Abby. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, what would some ad- what would be some of the advice you'd give someone who's, you know, been monogamous most of their life and thinking that maybe that's not enough, but is very weary of what else is out there? Hmm. That's a that's a big question. Can you nail that down in 17 seconds, please? That's <laughs> how much time I have. Go do it. Uh, just do it. Maybe just, just one gym. One gym of advice you'd give them. Gym. Um, I would... I think I would, I would want them to know that this is different way of looking at yourself and building your relationship with yourself and that um, it really is about keeping your heart open and learning what that feels like uh, to keep your heart open to love And then maybe I'd give the advice of, I think I'd have to set them straight that it's not like all sex parties all the time because I think that's a really common misconception that people have. I mean, a big part of the community, the open community that, you know, there's a lot of sex parties. Yeah. Uh, It is definitely a way of doing it. It is a way. And, you know, I have some friends that are in that 
way and that's fine and that's great. Right. That's not where I'm coming from. Right. I think maybe I just, the I think the best thing I might be able to say, because I'd have to assume this person is a friend of mine and most of my friends are parents. Right, right, right. And so I would probably use the analogy of having, you know, your second or third child is like that child goes through a little bit of like the dethroning of, oh, I'm not. Oh, your first child. I'm yeah, not yeah. the center of attention for everybody anymore. And um, and that can feel painful for the child who's dethroned. And it can, I think dethroned is, the, is like a psychological term that right. I'm using. I'm um, sure the only child feels that way until the second child, when the second child when comes. When the second child like, comes, it's like I a thought, real, I thought, yeah, what, it's like a real common, yeah. Was I not I mean, everything you <gasps> ever needed? And you are yeah. the only child. And, and you are that second child. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've never been the thrown. third child. Well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really the second child. I mean, the only child because my mom did have my brother before me, but by the time I was born, my brother was kind of not in the in the house. Yeah, so, so like set psychologically, they say if it's more than it's seven years or more, you are effectively I, an only child. I'm effectively the only child. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think that mm-hmm. that learning of like the the firstborn and then there's a new one comes and right. then um, that is like a microcosm of kind of what I'm talking about, like. It's so beautiful and amazing to have mom, dad, and baby. Right. But then when you have mom, dad, baby, and newborn, it's it's even more of a circle of love. And right. I think that is something that people, like at least parents who've lived it, um, can understand that love... Or, or like what you were saying, love isn't, there's not like a finite amount of love. Like the more you give, the more you yeah. get, like it just keeps growing. And, um, that's kind of what I'm after with having an open yeah. philosophy. And, and the tri- I mean, I think the difficult part is to let go of the fear that, Ooh, if I let go of this one law, like if I ex- make myself available to more love I'm gonna lose this one because you know like we're taught you only have that one thing right so by definition if I open myself up to more that means this one's gonna go away like that's my fear right and I think that the only way to get through it is by practice by living it like it has you have to prove to yourself through life that's not how it works it's not and a it, logical and it might thing. Go away. And you know, sometimes love yeah. does go away. Yeah. Um, and that's sometimes what happens. And yeah. it's like, but well, you enjoy it while you like appreciate what you right. have. Exactly. Right. Um, that's a good idea. And just and the concept of love flows through helped me understand that it so it's not a come and a go away. For me, I had to learn love flows through and it flows through people and it flows through experiences and it flows through places. Um, but it never fully is gone out of our existence. It just transfers from one experience, maybe one relationship to, you know, things sunset, people move on. Um, and that helped me with my scarcity fear of like, you know, I'm only, this person's the only one that can make me feel this way. And now that person's gone. I'm no longer ever going to feel that way. 
you know. Yeah, that's too much to put on that other person. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the, I learned in my first marriage. Yeah. I don't ever want to be that one, everything yeah. for yeah. a person, because yeah. then I can't leave. Yep, and we mm-hmm. act like we want it because we're afraid of them finding other cool people. So a lot of us want that monogamous structure because we want that nobility of being the, the other person's everything, but then we realize in that there's a lot of weight and impossible responsibility to be someone's everything. Um, but yes, I appreciate so much wisdom you ladies have dropped in this <laughs> season three. I wish we could talk for 72 more hours. Maybe. My ears hurt from the headphones, so that is not possible right now. Okay, we will, we will reshape the headphones before season episode two. This is the Black Russian Podcast, season three, episode one, Conversations with Abby. I am Tian Buku One. I am Nula. And you are? Abby Normal. Abby Normal. <laughs> and here we are. Let's keep it moving. Write your own vows, write your own script, and do what you do. Signing off. Thank you. Boop. Love and hate can never be friends. Oh, no. Oh, no. Here I come with love and not hatred. Show the goodness and mercy shall follow I all the days.